Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is The Journey of Discovery with John Gooden. Hello and welcome to The Journey of Discovery with John Gooden. That'll be me, I'm your host. So this is the second interview that I've done for The Journey of Discovery podcast. The first one, if you haven't checked it out, was with my friend Dan Hardy. We talked about masculinity. One of the things that I was excited about doing with this podcast was tackling some really important subjects as well as introducing you people to my people. So coming up over the next few months, maybe years, you're going to get to listen and hear from some of the people that have really affected my life in positive ways, maybe some new people as well that are going to have an impact on all of us. But for now, number two, you're going to meet Mrs. G, my wife, Vicky Gooden. We're going to talk about a very important subject called endometriosis. It is something that affects women all across the world. It is diagnosed terribly badly. It affects so many people and it's a really debilitating condition. I will let Vicky talk about it some more, ask some questions, hopefully get a better understanding for everyone that might be listening to this, particularly fellas. We need to understand what our women go through and how we can be more sympathetic um, and how we can help. So, I'm going to hand the reins over to my wife, Mrs. G, on the subject of endometriosis for Endometriosis Awareness Month. We have serious business to talk about, don't we? We do. Now, when we were talking about the podcast, because obviously I I speak to you about these things, run it by you. You are a marketing expert, so I always value your professional opinion as well. I I wanted to cover off some, some important topics you're going to laugh at me. This is so bizarre. I've interviewed hundreds, <laughs> if not thousands of people, uh, but never my wife. And I can't wait for the comment section on this video as well. Um, back to back to uh, the serious stuff then. And the topic today is something really serious because it's affected you, which has affected me. And I found it quite troubling I think to understand that the full scale and scope of endometriosis. So this is an interesting time, which we'll get into. And I thought that 
we should talk about it. It's an important subject. That's what we're doing here on the journey of discovery. So with that, endometriosis, Mm -hmm. what the bloody hell is it? Oh, it's a pain in the bum, quite literally sometimes. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) Good start. (laughs) Good one, Sauce. This is not going to be, yeah, very formal. Um, But uh, it's basically when uh, a woman suffering with endometriosis has cells that are um, similar, if not the same, to the lining of her womb, and they travel around different parts of the body. So um, it's been known to be uh, called the benign cancer, because it acts quite similarly to cancer. No one likes that word either. No, benign's good, but cancer, not so much. But um, yeah, it, it sort of works in the same sort of way in terms of how it uh, multiplies and, and spreads around the body. So um, it's typically uh, associated with women's periods. There we go. The first mention of period out the yeah, way. Yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of women <laughs> words in here, Are which I, which I, well, I've become a lot more comfortable with them yeah. as a result of this stuff. But sorry. Mm. So yeah, it's associated mainly. And even if you look in the dictionary definition of endometriosis, it's heavily associated with the time of the month for a woman uh, suffering with it. Um, but that's not strictly the case either. So it can flare up at any time of the month um, if you're suffering really badly with it. Um, tends to get worse around your period, um, but uh, yeah, not strictly confined to that, that period of time. So men can't get endometriosis? Men can't because they don't have wombs. <laughs> right. But you just said, so this is where I was confused about this. We don't have a womb, but then endometriosis isn't necessarily exclusively a womb issue, or, or is it? Is that where I'm well, getting it? it, it yeah, it's, it's purely sort of female-related, female reproductive system related. But you've told me in the past that it spreads to all yeah, the parts so of the body. It can, it can travel, I think, I believe, as far up to, uh, as the brain. Um, so what happens each time of the month that the woman has uh, a period... The patches of endometriosis cells that could be anywhere in her body on the lung. I think I've got some on my bowel as well. Um, uh, they they bleed as well. So when you're bleeding from the inside of your womb to release the the lining to shed the lining of your womb, which is your period each month, to then renew uh, a new start of the reproductive cycle, um, those patches wherever they may be are bleeding as well, which cause pain wherever they've ended up. Right. So I think we quite early on need to talk about why we are having this conversation now mm. so if you can tell me exactly why this is such a timely conversation uh, let us know why it's of significance this month or week or yeah. so i think it's the second of march today so today is day two of uh, official endometriosis awareness month which is not the best hashtag um but uh but yeah so uh, there are lots of people lots of women and men actually which is really good to see these days, talking about it on, on social media, covering it in the news. I've heard some radio uh, you know, reports uh, this morning as well. And people are just talking about it. And it's great that it's a month long because there's so much to discuss. Um, the statistics around it are, are still completely ridiculous. Do you want me to... Yeah, I think that's that? a good... Yeah, let's explain the gravity of this, not just from a mm. personal perspective, but just how widespread this is, how international this is. Hence this awareness month. So... Shoot, hit so, me with some statistics. So the official figure, which I don't know, this this relates to people that have been officially diagnosed with it, and there are many that haven't been diagnosed yet that don't know what their symptoms sort of relate to. And you're gonna, we'll, talk we'll talk about, about that, that in a sec. Yeah. So the official statistic that's doing the rounds on Instagram and Twitter at the moment is one in ten. So one in ten women worldwide 
have been officially diagnosed with endometriosis, which I think equates to 180 million women worldwide. Um, and and sort of here in the UK, only two percent of of sort of um, public funding goes towards gynae related issues. Um, I think there hasn't been a new treatment for endometriosis in the last forty to fifty years. A new treat is is there very basically then is there a treatment that cures it? Nope. Okay. All there's right. there's well, no we're... known cause. So there's no reason why I've got it and my next door neighbour hasn't. There's no known cause. Um and uh there's no cure at the moment. There are sort of measures and quite extreme measures that we can, we can go on to that people are sort of resorting to because of they can't live with the chronic pain anymore and the constant fatigue that comes with endometriosis. But yeah, no known no known cure. Um, okay. I also went to a talk last year um, at the Well Wellbeing of Women Institute, I believe it's called, um, and uh, they were sort of talking about twenty five percent of sufferers, I believe, in the UK. I'm going to say, but don't quote me on that, have considered suicide because they just can't deal with the level of pain it ruins relationships and careers um so it's it's a huge widespread issue Mm. and it doesn't just affect women because women heterosexual women are in relationships with men they you know they they want to you know have babies it can affect fertility that's Um, what i was going to get onto so this isn't just a pain thing mm -hmm. and something that disrupts your day on a quite significantly bigger scale this affects significantly impairs things like fertility yeah yeah in a big way um and i think you know let's be honest about how we came to find out that um, endometriosis you know we'd been trying for a baby for 18 months on you know heading on to a two-year period another period um but uh you know we then finally got referred to uh, a consultant and you know that was when it was mooted that maybe what i was describing in terms of my symptoms could be endometriosis and at that point so i've you know we've been together for many many years and i've always how many years yeah over 10 now (laughs) (laughs) um but not 20 um you had always suffered pretty severely with Mm. your cycles and you know i've you know i've got a sister a a mum obviously and so not everyone suffers differently but I've, I've always kind of realised that you particularly suffered with that. But you only found out or had even heard of endometriosis when we went to the doctors to talk about, you know, fertility stuff, mm. which is kind of mad because mm. I'm, you're not someone that runs to the doctors all the time, but I'm sure you have asked your GP in the past is there a reason why I suffer so strongly with my symptoms? Mm. Because not everyone wants to live off of a an over-the-counter pill or even a prescribed pill. But what were the kind of things that you were told as you've grown up and became a, an, an adult woman? Has this ever been suggested before, like it could be something that you're suffering with and therefore needs to be investigated? Another stat for you. So it takes on average seven to ten years for a woman to be properly diagnosed. That's ridiculous yes completely ridiculous so seven to ten years of unnecessary suffering not that there's a cure so therefore you know the minute you're diagnosed you get cured but you go through a period of seven to ten years of just not knowing what's wrong with you and I you know I don't even know when I got endometriosis that's one of the great unknowns about 
this was I born with it was I sort of was it predetermined for me when I was born does it why is why is it important to know that though because it can affect your fertility so you need you know the longer you have it for maybe it's damaging your ovaries your fallopian tubes etc so I think I think I would want to know how long I've had this for so uh, you know a a length of time that's you know goes up to 10 years to before finding out is ridiculous but well, before before we move on then, because uh, it's probably something that I was going to ask you more at the back end of the conversation, but before I forget, you therefore would suggest it's really important maybe if anyone is suffering anything like these kind of symptoms to push for some kind of investigations mm-hmm. because if they do want to have kids, mm-hmm. then it may bring that decision-making process yep. forward. Yep. And they, you can do other things as well, which I guess maybe we'll, we'll have to go down that road since mm-hmm. I'm opening it up. Yeah. Is that right in what I'm saying? Yes. I, you know, I would, if you've got a partner, a daughter, you know, I think we need to re-educate men, especially on this whole area of a woman's body um, that's so precious and that we all come from. We all come from the womb. So therefore, why is it taboo subject? You know, why are periods taboo subjects? But... I think if if you're hearing someone repeatedly say once a month or throughout the month that they are in excruciating pain, their periods are, you know, unbearable, that's not normal. Periods shouldn't hurt. Should and they not? No, like, they how really much? shouldn't. Like a, a bit of cramping, I think, is, is normal because, you know, your your uterus is contracting to shed, to shed a lining, its lining. Right. So, that, you know, a bit of cramping is, you know, completely normal. I think, but to the point where you're doubled over, which I've been at my desk at work or having to leave meetings or having to excuse myself from weddings because mm. I know that it's going to fall around my period is... It, yeah, it has... It's not acceptable. To add some, like a, a man's perspective. And it is frustrating because we, one, at the time, we never really knew what this was. Mm. And even, even if even if you do, you know, it's still not... There's still no excuse for someone to turn around and say, oh, just get over it. Mm. If someone's feeling like they're in pain, then you need to mm. show some compassion towards that. But I I feel like we have had quite a few occasions where we've had to limit our social stuff yeah. because of endometriosis yeah. or, or the symptoms of endometriosis. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. People should go and, should go and see. And... Yeah, I, I, yeah. I was just underlining that point, yeah. really. I mean, to go back to one of your original questions about going to the doctor and what would I, what was I told, you know, along the journey to find out whether you know whether I actually had it. Again, I don't know when this really started. My periods, I think, started when I was twelve. I was on a family holiday, and my first initial period was absolutely horrific. I broke out in cold sores all over my mouth. I was really run down. My immune system was shot, and that was my first experience of a period. Um, whoopie do welcome to womanhood I was on holiday in a bikini not ideal Um, so so yeah I you know I was told even by my own family members my own sort of mum I guess that you know period pain's normal you know we all we all go through it it's just once a month it's just normal and then over the course of the years over my sort of early teens um, I was put on various contraceptive pills to try and deal with it because back then the flow of my period was really heavy as well so I was going through an enormous amount of tampons and, and sanitary towels to try and contain the flow. Are you okay? <laughs> Let's get that out of the way. Yeah, we've... Uh, yeah. Wow, we went I there. I have now put out on the podcast... Sanitary towels. ...flow of my wife. Um, it used to be really heavy. And so the doctor was like, okay, I know what we can do about this. We can just put you on the pill. Even though I wasn't sexually active, 
you know, here's here's the pill and that will, you know, that will help regulate your periods and you'll know when they're coming and you, you know, you know, you can even carry on the pill if you don't fancy a period that month. So, you know, you're messing with you're messing nature. with nature. You're putting more hormones into your body. Endometriosis feeds off estrogen, and of course, the contraceptive pill has a high amount of estrogen in. Um, so you're just messing with nature to your point, you know, completely. And then, you know, I for whatever reason, some of the pills. I mean, eventually, when we met, the pill that I was on made me mental. And I think we discussed, you know, let's just come off it and sort of be careful in other ways. And um, so, you know. I've been told I've just been given pills basically and pain mm. relief over the counter from my doctors and um and yeah I've been told again that I maybe I've got IBS because my symptoms irritable, I, bowel, syndrome. irritable bowel syndrome another humdinger of something to live with as a woman um but I, you know some of my what and en- what have ended up being endometriosis symptoms are very similar to IBS so I can get upset tummy so around my period I get an upset stomach and so the doctor hears that and goes oh that sounds like something that could fit into the category of IBS because IBS is literally something that just is this umbrella term for loads of different things that they like stress yeah they don't know what to actually sort of talk you know call it clump it it together um so clump it together and call it IBS so I was like okay I've got IBS so obviously looked into natural remedies for that and it wasn't that it's been I it's been endometriosis all along and so, you know, have I had this for 20 years? Maybe. Who knows? I want to circle back just to really underline the point that you were making about investigating whether or not you've got endometriosis. And in your, it, well, it, with if you were to look back at your own life, if you'd, if you'd have known a bit earlier, because of the impact it has on fertility, you, and I know this because obviously we're married, you might have then taken some eggs and frozen them or, yep. or something like that. And, yep. and I think that's a really important point. So tell us about, because I'm not going to connect the dots very well. So tell us, in your experience, what happened and why that was stopping your body from perhaps reproducing as it might have done. Mm-hmm. And therefore, what could be done if you get there early enough. Mm-hmm. So should we talk about when I was diagnosed then? And yeah. I, so... That was, you know, two years ago, actually, two years ago um, on the 16th of March. And uh, that's when I was 34 years old. And that was the first, yes, you have endometriosis. Um, and the only way they could tell that was by a, by laparoscopic surgery. Which is? Which is basically um, they go in through the belly button and, and uh, sort of above where each ovary is. Um, and they sort of put a camera in, look around, and if they find it, if they find endometriosis, they will laser it off, cut it away. It's quite an invasive procedure. Um, I have never heard that. Hello? Uh, no, don't say hello, because oh. that, that kicks her back in. I've never heard <laughs> the Google Chrome thing. Uh, Maybe she wants to talk about she it. She wants to talk about endometriosis. <laughs> I don't know what it is about me recording these podcasts. With Dan, it was the fire alarm. And now, for some reason, the Google Chrome thing has decided to, to uh, interject. Sorry, no, I lost my train so of thought. I, I haven't. So I, so a laparoscopy. You said laparoscopy, and yeah. it sounds horrendous. And mm. they're lasering yeah, so stuff if they find, out. If they find sort of patches, areas of of endometriosis which look I've got sort of scans here which we can maybe put up online afterwards or whatever or link to my blog yeah um it looks like sort of brown congealed patches basically of of blood 
um, very sort of sticky. Um, if they find it, they either, I think it's let burn it off um, or, or, yeah, or, or cut it away. Nice. <laughs> really nice. At the same time as that, I also had a hysteroscopy. So they go in through the vagina and cervix into the womb, um, into that area and have a, have a look around that way as well. Um, so, and that's the only way. Is that so the hysteroscopy is a, um, that's what people would have to find out whether they've got endometriosis? Because, no, is laparoscopy. It just, laparoscopy. Yeah. So the hysteroscopy yeah. is what, just having a look around? Or, yeah, I think, I think they happen at the same time. I don't quote me on this, but okay. I think they happen at the same so time. So it's like a dual yeah. procedure. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, and currently, going back to the point of, you know, there's been no new treatments for 50 years um, for this condition, disease, let's call it disease. So, sorry. Yeah. Has it only been established 50 years ago and they've not had any treatment since? Don't know. Right. Don't know. Okay. But it has, certainly hasn't advanced in that period of time. Okay. Which okay. is just shocking. So, so when you have that, so that is currently the only way to determine whether you've got endometriosis is to do that surgery so they either go in see that you haven't got it come straight out again or they go in see that you've got it and then and there they'll deal with it right so you either wake up in loads of pain and you've got endometriosis (laughs) or you wake up from the anesthetic and you know you haven't got it and they just don't know what else it could be and i think the worrying thing is you are playing in an area where it's so sensitive and you're essentially giving carte blanche to a surgeon mm. Mm. to play around with your reproductive system, yeah. your ovaries, yeah. and maybe, I don't know, the fallopian tubes. Yeah. The bowel, there was some... I remember some consultations about the risk of the bowel as yeah. well. If it so was... I think if a gynae consultant or a gynae surgeon establishes that you've got... that there's that your sort of... Um, maybe your womb is stuck to your bowel, they are not allowed to touch that that has to be a different surgeon that goes in and does that right that's quite a technical piece of surgery yeah but to your point earlier about you know what can you then sort of find out so in my surgery we found out that my right ovary was in completely the wrong location because it had literally been sort of um, surrounded or smothered and webbed over and stuck somewhere where it shouldn't have been so my right ovary was you know really damaged um and within that uh, you know really precious follicles and eggs you know for for making babies so that was a real discovery um I think I had yeah I just had patches all around really um I also had cysts and there was endometriosis on the cysts so they removed the cysts I had adhesions as well um so so yeah they discovered a lot in that surgery and I woke up in quite a lot of pain yeah I can imagine yeah it doesn't get any more sensitive than Mm. than that area um but sorry, so to your point earlier, you know, had I known earlier about this, about this even being a condition that maybe I had, then you are armed with, you know, options. You know, if you know that you want to have babies in the future, even if you're not with anyone at that point, you know, if you know you want to have babies in the future and you've got a condition that can, doesn't always, but can affect fertility. I've got friends that have got endometriosis that have had kids, no problem. So let's just underline that, you know, if you've got endometriosis, it doesn't mean you're infertile yeah um but uh it, it can it can affect and, it and worst case scenario what do you mean surgery wise well endometriosis what is the worst thing that you can apart from pain what's the worst and obviously infertility is yeah. awful but yeah. what's like the end result which is awful i mean because there is no cure a lot of people end up 
taking their whole uterus out. So that's a full hysterectomy. And you're having young young women now that think, and they're misinformed because it isn't, they think it's a cure. So they think if I remove that part of me where the pain comes from, that the pain's associated with, I won't have it anymore. And, you know, Lee, you know it's been famously sort of documented very recently, Lena Dunham from Girls, the programme Girls, has, has sort of come out and said, I had a full hysterectomy. And she's how old for those Ooh, that know her? I think late 20s. Is she late 20s? I think she's late 20s. Jeez. She could be early 30s. I think late 20s. And, you know, she's been so open on social media over the years about her endometriosis. She's ended up in hospital so many times, just writhing around in pain on set when she's trying to film and produce and direct her show. Um, and, and now she doesn't have a uterus. It's gone. And, you know, again, it's, it's not a cure, but I really hope that she gets some, and anyone else that's opting for that option, gets some reprieve from the pain because having, you know, going through that surgery where you're, you're taking your chances of birthing a baby, you can still have a baby if you've had your eggs removed, you know, you can have surrogacy, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You can still have your baby. Um, but birthing a baby is, is not an option. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, to get to that end result where you're brave enough to say, right, enough is enough. I can't do this anymore. I want to move on. Mm. That's so brave. This, I guess, affects all age groups as well. Yeah. I mean, as again, well, we, from adolescence. Yeah, right? from puberty. So I guess we just don't know when it starts. And again... Can it come on in later life? I don't know. I don't think they know. I don't know who they are. <laughs> the right. experts, but... I don't think any. I don't. You know, are we born with it? Am I predetermined? Was I predetermined from the start? To right, have but it? it's hereditary. Yeah, because right. you know, when a, a baby girl is in the womb, she has all of her eggs that she'll ever have. Her reproductive system is all all there and ready to all go when she's born. Bef- right when she's born. So, um, so yeah, she's you know, she's you know got that all that system there. Is it predetermined that she's got it? I mean, I don't think my mum ever had it, so I don't know whether I have got it from you know a, a line or, or whatever i don't know right. a yeah. family sort of line who knows how has endometriosis affected your life Ugh. oh it's just the pain like i'm not one to and i hope you will endorse this but i'm not one to moan <laughs> come on i'm not mm. one to moan unnecessarily like i if i'm in pain you'll know about it like that time i had a broken rib and you and we were like oh got a broken rib because you cough too hard and I actually did have a broken rib um but uh I'm not one to sort of to your point run down the doctors at the slightest thing because I actually don't trust the doctors much anymore I'm going to put that out there and we'll come on to sort of different ways that you know you can treat things in a minute I guess but um yeah it's the pain and it's the embarrassment so as I said earlier you know one of my symptoms has been upset stomach that can come on all of a sudden so I have vastly limited my time um you know eating out at certain restaurants because i know that certain foods are going to set it off as well which i thought was ibs related so there's an anxiety and a hangover of anxiety you know that your um menstrual cycle is Mm -hmm. about to come on so Mm -hmm. you know what you're what you're in for um and it's consistently horrendous yeah and i've lied like it's made me lie over the years. Right. That's, that's in, interesting, isn't it? I can't come into work today. I've got a migraine. I haven't got a migraine. I've got my period, but that sounds lame. Right. <laughs> yeah. And this yeah. Is, I think this is one of the important points, isn't it? And in, in spreading the awareness, because if people start having an understanding of endometriosis, then 
on occasions when things are particularly bad, mm. then it it allows us to understand that pain. Yeah. Is there help us understand the discomfort and the pain? Then is there anything that as a bloke we could maybe liken it to is it no I mean I've heard a kick in the nuts is really painful so maybe I don't know really I don't know I mean I don't know like I don't know what your bits feel like no but uh, just the general sense that like unwellness as well as pain yeah the fatigue is ridiculous so you just feel drained because you're in chronic you've got a chronic condition doesn't go away it's chronic it's ongoing um and it flares up and flares down so flares up and flares down you know what I mean um and, and you know, the only sort of words I can use to describe when it really sort of sets in are sort of spiky, jabbing, hot, stabbing pain. Right. And it's not just confined to the pelvic area. It's sort of, I get aches all down my thighs, which I sometimes call growing pains. Yeah. Um, I'm not growing anymore, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Your legs certainly haven't. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, uh, but I get sort of really horrible pain down my thighs. My bum hurts for whatever reason. I get um, groin ache uh, and back ache. Right. Um, so uh, if you sort of looked at any labor... And you don't even practice jiu-jitsu. <laughs> wow. Um so yeah, if you looked at any kind, if you if you googled it, it'd be like, oh, you've got period pain. No, <laughs> it's a bit more severe than that. Yeah, um, and it doubles you over. You know, before we we got um, referred to the, the consultant in the end to find out whether I had endometriosis, the thing that kind of really um, sparked that process was I was doubled over in pain at my desk at work, um, and I managed to get to a meeting. I literally doubled over, not you know, not just like ow, you know, doubled over because I didn't know how to cope with the pain. I got mm. myself to a meeting room, dialed one one one, whatever that thing is. Um, the and they, NHS care, yeah, line. The, right. you know, where they sort of advise you. Um, and they said get to um, a an A and uh, A and E um, ASAP uh, because we think you've got uh, an appendicitis. And I was like, so right, another okay, and I, yeah, exactly, yeah. Not even endometriosis wasn't even, you know. Oh, that sounds like endometriosis. It was, oh, maybe you've got something wrong with your appendix. Um, and you know that was when it sparked that process. But, but yeah, it's it's a horrible pain and it knackers you out. And nothing, you know, I my sort of go tos were hot water bottles or a yeah. hot shower, just heat. Yeah. Um, which is weird because it's an inflammatory condition, but you know, um, yeah, I just topically they were the only things. They were the only things because I hate taking painkillers. I hate taking those tablets because I've had many years of being on tablets. When even you know, when I was twenty, I had a skin condition. And I was on so many steroids and so many antibiotics. That I'm really conscious of the lining of my gut. Yeah, and, we're learning know, all about the microbiome. Yeah, and, the gut and if health. you mess with that, you don't absorb any goodness anyway. Yeah. So you know, I. I'm really conscious of that. So I didn't want to just go, give me the period Neurofem, please. Yeah. <laughs> because A, how the F do they work? Mm. You know, how do they go, go straight to that area? You know, come on. So, um, yeah, I just, I just, yeah, would apply heat mainly and just sort of curl up in a ball. Have I read or heard in some of our consultations that when a woman is pregnant, her symptoms of endometriosis subside or go away? They can for do. the pregnancy and yeah. and actually may may then get rid of the endometriosis or stop it from being symptomatic mm-hmm. uh, once child is born. Yeah, well, I guess because 
you're not having periods when you're pregnant, maybe that goes some way to explain why. There's a little bit of a reprieve, maybe. But I know, again, I follow a lot of girls on Instagram particularly that talk about it, and there are girls that get pregnant with endometriosis, and yes, their symptoms subside and when they've had the baby, um, and they've got over that initial really long period that you have after you've had a baby. Mm. Um, it then it, it seems to have eased, but there are women um, that are pregnant that have you know the same symptoms and end up in hospital, even when really? they're pregnant. So I don't think there's any, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing. It's just not enough known about it no, still. No. Okay, that's no. worrying. <laughs> So in terms of the things that you can do and manage, we um, we did change a lot of things around the house uh, because you would, I'm not sure if it was fertility or endometriosis or both, but you made a lot of positive steps, which I completely uh, supported you through. But give us a short list of things that women are told that they could do holistically maybe Mm. so that they can help with the symptoms reverse it yeah whatever it might be yeah so I you know when I found out I had it I'm one of those people that's like right I've got this thing and I'm not going to be victim to it um I don't want it to be Vicky equals endometriosis sufferer I want it to you know I want endo warrior endo warrior hashtag endo warrior um but so I wanted to inform myself as much as possible, being armed as much as possible, speaking to experts, not not my GP. Um, and so, uh, you know, there are roles that different people play. So the GP eventually diagnoses you or refers you. The, the consultant would do the operation and laser it off and burn it and their job's done. You should be super fertile after that. But then, you know, what else is there on a day to day basis? What else can I be doing to to help my body heal or to you know take the load off of my body um and so the routes I went down I mean the first thing I did was went on Amazon and just wanted to find any kind of book uh, any kind of books to to read up on endometriosis and understand it more and came up with this one so it's just called endometriosis a key to healing and fertility through nutrition because at this point obviously we were keen to start a family there's obviously a strong link between endometriosis and fertility yeah huge um, and it was, it's by a lady called Diane Shepperson Mills. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, I just assumed she was American. I don't know why. <laughs> right. I have no idea. Um, but I ended it's up... It's that spelling of Diane. Diane without, I'm looking you. without yeah. you. What's that all about? I don't know. She's got... That's a typo. Yeah. So I just... I Diane? Just assumed, Is that not... Maybe. Yeah. Um, but I just assumed that she was American and that, you know, I couldn't get to speak to her because, I don't know, it's a whole other country. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I ended up buying the book, reading maybe half of it, and just thought, I really want to speak to this lady. It's a big book, by the way. This is a, you know, it's not a pamphlet. Yeah, it's a big book. And I just decided that actually I'm reading the book, but I want to speak to her. Googled her, and she's got a clinic in London. (laughs) I think she lives in Brighton or something, but she's got a clinic in London. So I made an appointment immediately. And she is all about nutrition um, and, and how we can use nutrition and supplementation to to help manage not cure but help manage symptoms of endometriosis so is nutrition well i think you're going to answer you've probably already answered this earlier but does nutrition lead into the development of endometriosis if it can manage it then Mm, i guess so Uh, you know there there are again come back to the estrogen point there are many foods that are high in estrogen and so if you you're flooding your body with those um are you putting yourself more at risk of right of the effects but yeah i don't know but 
um, went to see her and I came out with a prescription which is much more my kind of prescription rather than just, I don't know, steroids or painkillers. Mm. Um, so she put me on things I've never heard of before. And just a caveat, this is my prescription. Everyone presents differently with their with their um, symptoms. Yeah. yeah. So should always, you know, go and have their own sort of consultation. But she put me on things like Slippery Elm, um, which heals the gut. Because, um, again, her point was we need to get your gut fixed first um because if you're if you, that isn't working optimally optimally um you can't absorb anything and so any any goodness so i think the old saying used to be you are what you eat it's now you are what you absorb because you even if you're eating really well you might not be actually absorbing that through the gut and into your body hmm. um so she put me on things yeah um, what a- other live cultures and, and things like that? Yeah, was, was that probiotics and lots stuff. Of probiotics. Lots of probiotics. Okay. Um, so I just worry when you say things like slippery elm, it just sounds so... <laughs> like it's just been scraped off a, bar, off a tree. Well, just a little <laughs> bit like Chinese medicine and people mm. have a problem with that. Yeah. But I th- when if you were to start saying probiotics, yeah. um, live cultures and things, that's something that we should all be yeah. taking a much closer look at. Yeah. So it's even things like omega-3 for hormone balance and to reduce inflammation. Um, Any foodstuffs in there? Yeah, I mean, gosh, you gave me What was it you you had to avoid? Well... um, Is that something different? Is that the Ayurvedic? No, I went... So, yeah, it was the endometriosis nutritionist, first of all, and she made me this whole list of things to avoid, decrease, and carry on with. Is there, like, a top line of what you should... (laughs) Not on this one. This one was uh, really in-depth, but decrease sugar which isn't, you know, that's not, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Um, avoid things uh, like processed and smoked food. Avoid dairy products. They can be very sort of mucus-forming yeah. um, and they can just block you up in so many ways. It doesn't help with an inflammatory disease. Um, reduce beef, pork, lamb. Reduce wheat products. There are tons. And, and yeah, and sort of up, up your amounts of um, red and orange vegetables, Powerful blood and liver cleansers and anti-carcinogenic. Basically, it's stuff we know. It's I'm going it to is say, stuff well, we know. People that maybe have followed me for a little bit will understand that I'm a vegan. So mm. that to me sounds like a vegan <laughs> diet, but you weren't eating a vegan diet necessarily, were you? No, There's, I was still eating fish, and she, you know, she didn't. You know, fish was still fine because that of the was still on. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it was basically her. Her top line thing was Mediterranean diet. So fish, vegetables and fruit. Right. What about oils and things like that? We get that from your fish and stuff. But yeah, she... um, Main fat source, extra virgin olive oil. Um, So yeah, there's this whole list that I came home with. And uh, even, you know, we had quite a strict sort of food food type. Were tomatoes out? So that came from the Ayurvedic doctor. Okay, right. So I saw this lady for a matter of months, uh, took all the supplements, kept a diary of... Uh, you know, um, fine-tuned my diet even further, kept a diary of my symptoms, and it became more manageable. And mm-hmm. I could see a, a, a complete, you know, not complete turnaround, but definitely noticeable improvements. As in the... Pain. Right, okay. Yeah, big time. Um, and then I thought, well, I went to yoga one day, and my yoga teacher told her all about um, endometriosis and everything, and she suggested I go and see an Ayurvedic doctor. So Which is a... Indian um, so East, yeah, East, Eastern medicine. Right. Um, and it's all about, uh, much like Chinese medicine, it's all about looking at the body as a whole. Right. You're not just saying, oh, you've got pain there. So in that area, we're just going to 
target that it's about looking at the whole body um and via you know via a, a course of different tests where she looked at my eyes my tongue just you know strange strange things but I love all this stuff um she determined that my body type was pitta which I could well believe that I'm full of pitta bread to be honest but um she that means that I'm too hot like my body is too inflamed it basically means fire um and there are three areas in Ayur- Ayurvedic um practice so you're either vata which is air ether and air pitta which is fire or kappa which is earth and water and if you're fire you're just far too hot which goes hand in hand with having an inflammatory disease mm-hmm. um so i came back from that with um a list of no and a list of yes foods yeah and on my and again this is personal so go and do your own there's a uh, lot there but name me a couple of yeah. big ones which you had to cut out so on the no list were tomatoes spice like chili which obviously is obvious um things like aubergines uh mango papaya which i was very upset about mm. um white potatoes minimize them not cut them out completely chickpeas and kidney beans looking down at them. gluten as well yeah on there yeah gluten oranges pineapples kiwi right. um so actually i came and i was like oh god yeah <laughs> i love big, all this stuff i'm just yeah especially with the kind um, of food that we were eating yeah and on the yes list it was again going and sort of um complimenting the the lady that I saw about endometriosis. Yeah, diet, did they were they, they complemented the, each other? Com- right, they, they they weren't. No, they were completely tied in. Okay, so it was lots of green veg, lots of orange veg, carrots. Um, excuse me, <laughs> um, sweet corn, kale, asparagus, onions, and ginger. Ginger confused me because I thought that would be quite heating, um, but not not so much. Uh, so yeah, quinoa, oats, apples, pears, grapes. So there's still lots to play with. Yeah. Um, and for a short amount of time just to try and get your body back in balance which is the whole point of ayurvedic medicine and chinese medicine is just to get that balance right mm-hmm. to bring your body back into harmony so it doesn't have to be a long-term thing but um that you know with the supplements i think got me in a in a much better place yeah so once again nutrition kind of comes to your aid mm. and you are able to manage much like anything really if you can't manage things physically then, which you did. I mean, you you had the surgery, but beyond that, you, it's what you. It's a life a lifestyle thing, um, plus your whatever you eat and drink. Did they talk about activity levels and whether that's affected? Whether there's a positive aspect of doing you know really high intensive workouts or not so much about that. I guess right. the upshot of changing your diet and sort of upping the right supplements and it's really important to take the right supplements because you can just google things and then put yourself on things that aren't right for your presentation so but i guess if you're if you're doing the right thing because you've been investigated by an expert yeah then naturally your energy level should increase you shouldn't feel that really depleting fatigue that comes with endometriosis and therefore you might just feel like going out for a walk where you, know, you might not have before right um I mean, I'm not in, into high intensity stuff at the moment, but um, you know, yeah, I know plenty of, of women that do do still do high intensity stuff that have endometriosis. I think it's also also worth mentioning that I went to Chinese medicine as well, um, particularly when we were going further down the fertility route, um, and uh, have a wonderful um, acupuncturist. I think it's worth just before people start thinking, "Oh my God, listen to her." You you didn't do this all in. You didn't pick up the phone one after the no, other and get this no. done. This was controlled. Months and months. Yeah. yeah. And and not always simultaneously. No, not at all. I didn't want to overload the body. 
Um, I started with the lady that wrote that book, Diane Shepherdson Mills, because she was an expert in endometriosis. Um, and then, you know, did that for a few months, felt in a better place. And just, I was so interested in Ayurvedic medicine. I just thought, what well, you're also to trying to promote um, fertility as well, good fertility. Yeah. So some of these things, again, were to do with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and more so the Chinese side of things. So when I went down the acupuncture route, that was predominantly... So the Chinese medicine is more acupuncture mm-hmm. rather than herbs and no, Chinese medicine and is, all the rest of it. No, Chinese can. medicine is both. I didn't do the herb side of things. Yeah, yeah. Because I was I worried. I, and, and people do and they have amazing um, results. But I didn't want to because I knew we were going down the IVF route um, or would be eventually going down the IVF route. And so I didn't want to mess with the actual like the sort of hardcore drugs that I was going to put on right, that. And, you, and Chinese right. medicine can can interfere with that. Had right. we not gone down the, the IVF route, I would have totally taken herbs. What was that nastiness? The mo- moxa? Is that nasty? The moxa oh is, my God. Oh, don't even go there. So basically, oh, it's just... That's a Chinese medicine practice. Yeah. So it's a, a certain herb um, that is sort of solidified into like a long sort of stick. Moxa it's like a charcoal stick. stick. It's like a charcoal stick. Yeah, it looks like charcoal. Um, and this is part of Chinese medicine and uh, forms a, a big sort of complementary piece to acupuncture. Um, so uh, my acupuncturist, Hannah Watson, based in Much Haddam in, Har- in Hartford and uh, works out of St Albans as well. She's just a... She's just a marvel. <laughs> um, and what was that doing? Her. Because you would burn this thing in our front room, in our back room where we would typically sit and kick back and I couldn't go near the bloody thing mm. it, the, the smoke felt so heavy and actual fact not that long ago um I was given a moxa stick for like a a slightly inflamed I think it gets like spot mm. or something mm. um because I think it kills bacteria but mm. you were you would be there with Pants essentially <laughs> <laughs> with lighting a charcoal stick and putting it on like Burn like it looked like you mm. were burning your skin with it. it certainly smelt like it. So basically, but, <laughs> going back to the point earlier that heat was my comforter and is still is my comforter when I'm in pain down there with hot stuff over here. <laughs> God, um, I you know when this was introduced to me as part of I was basically on a tape on a you know a um, on a bed being practiced on with acupuncture needles and then she got this moxa thing out um, and basically she you light one end of it until it sort of burns red, like really, really bright red. Um, You either just sort of wave it above the area of pain. So in my case, the pelvic region, um, all sort of around my womb. You you get very accustomed to where your womb and your ovaries are when you have this condition, by the way, like there's my womb. (laughs) Um, And so all around that area, or the acupuncturist actually sort of houses it in a little, little sort of wooden box and just places it on your tummy for like 20 minutes or something um and the heat I don't know what it does but the heat just takes away the pain and apparently you're absorbing some of the herb and it's taking that inflammation down and the the effects are immediate for me um and you know along this whole fertility journey I was told to do moxa um sort of the beginning of my cycle um sorry after my period and before ovulation um to try and sort of make that area as conditioned and as healthy as possible um and warm because you know a warm uterus you know invites invites implantation and invites you know pregnancy so 
um, yeah, it heats up the womb and takes all the pain away and it's just magic. We're bouncing around here a little bit, I guess, but that they are interconnected as we've spoken about the discovery of this was because of the, the fertility journey. Mm-hmm. So you had your laparoscopy and hysteroscopy <laughs> and then essentially everything's freed up, cleared out. Yeah. But you made me very aware after I was like, okay, that's been done now. That's all very good. You're like, oh, no, we're on a we could essentially be on a stopwatch mm-hmm. for when this all returns and starts to mm. play havoc with my system. Yeah. Um, which again, just increases anxiety. Our anxiety was around, you know, having a conceiving and having a child. So mm. um, am I right in that? And then mm. I think as you've said before, not even a, a hysterectomy can cure this. Yeah. So yeah, I think we were quite point blank told you're all cleaned up. We've got rid of the endometriosis. You know, it's you know, you're all cleaned up inside. We've and we up. have photographic evidence. Yeah, we freed well. up. We freed up your ovary. We've taken out all the excess blood. You're squeaky clean. So for the next three months, you are super fertile. So you know, over the next three months, we try to make a baby, um, and didn't work. And you know, that was pretty soul destroying. And I think it's worth noting that I have, I've never been pregnant. So I've never been pregnant and lost. But to my knowledge, you know, you can mm. you can be very early pregnant and have a period and actually you've lost a pregnancy. Right. But to my knowledge, I've never been pregnant. Um, so, you know, we were sort of hanging our hopes on this. You know, you're now really fertile because your system's all cleaned up. Um, and so those three months were sort of precious and a bit stressful because it was like, okay, I'm ovulating, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, you speak to women that are trying for babies anyway. And, you know, the poor men are on a bloody timer for when she's ovulating in that sort of one to two three day period of peak fertility um and so you know didn't work for us and really upsetting so um and then yeah you, to your point you know that you're then on a bit of a, a sort of stopwatch about when well you worry about it returning and yeah. then taking away your yeah. chances because it will so. return you know having the laparoscopy buys you some time buys you some time and hopefully eases the pain for the immediate Did term. Did it ease the pain? Yeah, I think for the immediate term. Something I have noticed, though, since the um, since the surgery is that I now get ovulation pain, which I never used to have. So maybe that's because my ovaries are freed up. Maybe I didn't notice it because they were trapped. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't ovulating. So what's the difference between menstruation pain and, uh, and ovulation oh, pain? Oh, God. Ovulation pain... It's like a, well, for me, it's like a dull ache. And when does that happen in the cycle? Is that like at the at the nine o'clock to the 12 o'clock on the, around for the, for the month? So 12 and six. Right, 12 and six. Yeah. That's the opposite end. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So. God, it's fun being yeah, a woman. I'm not just saying that because I'm guessing women would probably be more, be more tuned into what we're talking about, but. As a fella, I have learned an awful lot, and I've said this many times before. It wasn't that I was—I've never not been sympathetic. I'm not one of those sorts of people. But going on this journey, I've, there's a lot, a lot, a lot that I didn't understand that women went through. You know, whether you have endometriosis or not, I might add um, the fertility journey and all of the rest of it. It's you women certainly have to go through it in very unfortunately intimate 
ways that you know us men would never have to or maybe until we get middle-aged and then we've got to check for prostate mm. but that's probably the only time um mm. or unless you're you know really promiscuous and you need to go and you know have umbrellas and things um inserted into places that you probably don't want to anyway but i consider myself lucky in that there are women that are hospitalized regularly with endometriosis symptoms i can't believe that they, they pass just- out they, you know, they literally, they black out because the pain is blinding. Um, so, you know, I, I do consider myself lucky that I know that I've got it now. So therefore I can do stuff about it. Um, but yeah, there are women that suffer way worse than me. Any success stories that you've seen about someone that's cured it and what it might have been? No one's cured it. No one's ever gotten no, rid of it fully? I don't okay. think so, not that I know of. Right. Success stories for me at the moment, given, you know, our mission is, you know, knowing that you can get pregnant with endometriosis. Right. And there's an account on Instagram um, that I would encourage anyone to follow um, called theendo.co. And it's uh, founded by a lady called Natalie, who is on Instagram separately as living with endometriosis. Um, And she just recently had a baby. Um, And she, you know, she shared her journey over the years she's you know posted photos that you would assume are a photo of a pregnant tummy but it's not it's an endometriosis tummy um we're just so swollen so swollen so bloated um and and now she's got a baby so i think you know i think it's about knowledge isn't it it's all about knowledge and empowering people that are finally diagnosed to to do what they can to believe that they can Mm. journey through it and you've documented this journey on your blog which is vickygooden.com okay and you've had a lot of people respond positively but with obviously upsetting stories Mm. um our journey and I, i don't know if it's worth going into it but it's it's collectively been a, a little bit more difficult through you know unsuccessful uh tries at ivf and you know losing a pregnancy and things like that mm-hmm. and you've documented you've documented that journey and people have then reached out and shared mm-hmm. their stories and stuff and and actually i think i i did i i have um i can't be too explicit just in case i'm not sure how secretive it is but basically i had a conversation not long ago with a guy that told me he'd read some stuff that because i put something up i was very careful where i put it but when we lost um uh, our first pregnancy that was yeah that was pretty horrific um and i'm not sure if it's it's not really related well it kind of is related mm. to your mm. endometriosis journey so all right we'll touch on that in a second uh, just because of the pitfalls and choosing the right people i think mm. and then i'll weigh in on that mm. but he then started to explain what his other half was going through and then he was he asked me whether she could reach out to you so mm. There seems like it, it's Dan and I were talking about masculinity and suffering problems and mm. men not talking about mm. it, but I guess this is similar mm. in that you have a a collective there of of strong women who are told not to moan about something and it's all natural and it is what it is. Yeah. The beauty of birth will follow, mm. so just you know get on with it, take yeah. a pill. But it's really more complicated than yeah, that. Yeah, it's more complicated. And there's still, and it, it, this is what winds me up, there's still such taboo 
about periods, full stop, period. <laughs> um, but there is still in what, such... In what way? Men don't want to talk about it. Men, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being very sort of broad here and gem- generalising, but, you know, I, I don't think growing up I could have said to my dad, Dad, can you nip out and get me some tampons? You know... I don't think I would have felt comfortable with that. He certainly wouldn't have. Yeah, um, heavy flow, heavy flow ones would be great. You know, <laughs> imagine my dad. You know, bless him. So there's still a, <laughs> there's still a taboo with periods generally. You know, people roll their eyes if a woman complains about having a period. We're not really allowed to talk about it. It's gross. You see the adverts on t- TV that are trying to sell. They're towels. horrendous, though. By the way, they need to just completely rethink yeah. their marketing but you know they're, they're, they're showing sanitary towels with blue liquid last time I checked my period isn't blue you know why can't we be why can't we just say we know that blood comes out you know can we <laughs> why are we showing water <laughs> absorbing into this sanitary pad that's not, not sharp, I'm ready to see you know well it's happening room. apparently there's a there's an ad coming oh really awesome yeah which shows red red stuff on a sanitary towel which is wow but there's still such taboo and I you know Men, men need to be more informed and this is a whole subject about you know teaching in schools about fertility as well and you know I don't know what you learn about sex education but ours was rubbish you know it was women have got Group vaginas of people playing volleyball or badminton <laughs> naked I think women have got vaginas and they make eggs and men have got willies and they make sperm and da da <laughs> you know and if you're not careful you're going to get pregnant and that's really bad that's really, really bad. Getting pregnant's really bad. Whereas, you know, is it? Yeah, maybe at a young age, you know, that you know, that's not ideal. Um and certainly, you know, in terms of you know, relationship status and stuff, but don't scare people about this whole area, which is you know, which is the reason we're all here. <laughs> um so yeah, the period thing really, really grates on me. You know, why can I not call in sick because I've got a bad period? I can, but I'm worried about what people are going to think about that. Mm. You know, and there's, yeah, it's just, you know, that aisle of boots or super drug or whatever, men don't want to go there. It's like, oh, what's all those pads and wings and all oh, string? Oh, no. So it's just, you know, gross. Flush it away. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see anything, any kind of, any kind of paraphernalia to do with bleeding out of your vagina thank you very much right you know and so i think if we ever have a daughter i want her to be like dad can you <laughs> take this for me <laughs> no you're all right can you nip down the road because i've got my period and you know i could do with some tampons right. and i'd like you to be able to go sure what flow <laughs> no but you know what i mean why is it just women that have to deal with this it's a it's a something that affects all of us and without periods no one would be born right okay um one thing that i that I do want to talk about and not, not, do I want to talk about it? Probably don't really want to talk about it, but if we're covering these subjects, then, then it is important. And it's probably the only bit that I can add any value to. So you've had these procedures Mm. and, um, (laughs) had a right two years of it. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Bless you. You've been really through it. Um, and what we've already described only really, uh, talks about the beginnings of it, Mm. but we don't have to cover everything, but, you essentially suffered a a, a really rare um, ectopic pregnancy, and my my belief is because there are a lot of people that are trying to fix stuff, mm. and they didn't always do the best. 
in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe you can talk about it a bit more since yeah. it's your body. Yeah. So, yeah, the last two years have been... Um, so, obviously, two years ago, endometriosis and all that surgery related to that. Then we start, Then we didn't get pregnant in those three months. But I was told I was super fertile. It was going to be amazing. Um, and so we just immediately decided to go down the IVF route because I was you know, 34. And I was You're, coming up to 30. Yeah, sure. Um, didn't I buy you that for your 40th last week? <sighs> mm. um, Did anywho, um, so, you know, you're told, I mean, again, this is another inflammatory thing. The minute you turn 35, woman, your fertility nosedives. So you're, you've got that in your head the whole time as a woman as well, which is not the case. You know, we know someone at the moment that's in her 40s that's pregnant naturally. Mm. So, you know, you know, it's just ridiculous. So, so, um, no, but there should be an awareness about that. People should should be aware that you have a depleting, um, basket of eggs, um, and it does a finite amount of eggs and they are, they're, they're, they're shedding each, each month since birth, since birth. So you're, you're born with, you're You're born, no, you're not shedding since birth, but you're not shedding since since puberty, but God, I um, just showed myself. (laughs) Yeah. At least um, I corrected it. But you, you have the, the, a finite amount of eggs, and you're born with that number. Yes, that's right. You don't I'm make eggs. Ask. Yes, um, which is a bit of a misconception. You don't make eggs. Men make all the sperm. Women don't make eggs. Right. Um, so, so yeah, your fertility wanes from the age of thirty-five. Apparently, take that with a pinch of salt. If you look after your body well enough, if you're having periods, you know, if nothing drastic is changing from month to month in terms of going from a heavy flow to a light flow to very short periods, if you know, if you're pretty consistent in your flow and your cycle you know there should there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to get pregnant although unexplained infertility is completely on the rise which is another ibs type thing so if they can't determine you've got endometriosis you've got polycystic ovaries the man hasn't got enough sperm or whatever you if it's not one of those things or a couple of others it's unexplained infertility sorry we don't know how to help you um i don't know if i'm going on a tangent but yeah we investigated the ivf route um and you know that I think that's a separate podcast to be honest but um that's no mean feat to sort of go like that is a tough process and we went with a, an IVF clinic called Create who um based in in St Paul's in London who sort of pride themselves on natural IVF um because it follows the woman's natural cycle there's very limited amount of drugs used um to sort of stimulate your natural processes um but, you know, in in that process of trying to get to the point where we have embryos, fertilised embryos for the first time ever and successfully implanting them in my womb, we stumbled upon some issues with my body. Um, so it was only, I think it was March last year, so a year ago, where we got to the point where... Um, no, it wasn't. It was the summer, wasn't it? It was the August mm. where we went for our first fresh transfer... So August 2016, yeah, we went for our first fresh fresh transfer of an embryo. Um, really excited. This was the first time we were going to be coming away from a clinic with an embryo definitely in my womb, which to all intents and purposes, we had no idea we'd ever achieve before naturally. And um, and we, we didn't come away with that at all because a supposed lump was found in my cervix when they were trying to pass the catheter through to then put the put the embryo into my into my womb so then what another year 
of surgeries mm. ensued to try mm. and figure out what was wrong with my internal makeup, if you like, my structure. Um, it was determined that it wasn't a lump, which was nice to hear because the word lump puts the fear of Christ in you. Mm. Um, so um, it was determined that I had a really acute angle yeah. into my womb, which, of course, sure... Um, and maybe could explain, go somewhere to explain why we never got pregnant naturally. Maybe the sperm just mm. like, fuck this, you know, I don't know what, you know, <laughs> just hitting a dead end here. Mm. Um, who knows? Uh, and then, yeah, just lots of surgeries to try and rectify that, which some of which went wrong. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, you ended up, I think the, well, this, yeah, the end result of some of that was a, was a, I guess is it a miscarriage is it was it a miscarriage because it was a growing pregnancy but it was in a very rare place mm. in the cervix like 0.04 percent oh, something crazy statistic, but yeah uh you were hospitalized for like five days yeah. um and yeah this is the the reason why I say that is or, or I had you explain that was because as a bloke you kind of take a little bit of a back seat it's a woman's body a lot of this stuff I'm not saying that it would you know a lot of these things were the reins aren't on my side you know I'm not there laying on the bed I I just essentially you give a donation and that's it you're just there for emotional support but I think it's important to understand every step because I got to a point where I was in the hospital when you were you know you would white with pain you had had this um ectopic pregnancy which uh, you'd been on a 999 call I just got back I was actually still on the plane when I found out you were about to get into an ambulance uh, which was you know no no one ever likes that you feel quite helpless but at least I was in the country and I got to a point where I understood enough and the complexity of it and a few of the nuances where I literally then could tell everyone to stop and connect some further dots and don't proceed any further and I'm glad that I finally did that and I've, I've spoken to a couple of women and some professionals who have sort of patted me on the back for that I'm not looking for pats on the back by the way but I just realized that I did the right thing and I was only able to do the right thing because I had listened and I understood because you were in no position to make a decision no. and and sometimes We'd been, we'd been at a clinic in St. Paul's. We'd been treated by a particular surgeon in Harpenden, but your 999 call took you to Watford. Mm. These are all different places. No one's reading. I mean, I'm not even sure whether the notes from the fertility clinic would be shared mm. with. Yeah, no. I'm not sure how that works. So really, you need an intermediary, and that was me, who can then say, you need to speak to this person. Yeah. And those conversations were facilitated and then a more educated approach was taken and, and, you know, they didn't do any invasive surgery. I mean, luckily there was one common denominator in a a surgeon. There was, yeah. um, Who was my initial consultant who did the endometriosis surgery, Dr. Hemanshi Berezi. Loves a bow tie. So, you know. Good man. Good man. Bow tie brigade. (laughs) Um, And he did my endometriosis surgery he was the sort of link between everything. So he also recommended Create Fertility to me because he's associated with Create Fertility, which is the IVF clinic. And he also worked privately 
at um, so obviously at Harpenden Hospital where we had the surgery, but he also worked at, on the NHS side at uh, Watford General. Yeah. So he was like the one person we had that kind of connected the dots. He at, did, to a point. but yeah, um, you're ruining my point. No, I know, no, no, I know, I know, but I'm, I'm trying to say that, you know, you saw me go through years of surgeries where other surgeons had created a hole in my womb. Let's talk about that. <laughs> that was a great one. So um, in one of my surgeries to dilate my cervix, because I had this weird navigational issue getting into my womb, uh, a cancer specialist surgeon um, created a hole in my womb called a false passage. And that pushed back IVF even further because I had to heal from that. Anyway, so with the ectopic, you know, um, we I was about to be operated on and um, my ectopic was in my cervix, which is very rare to your point earlier and nor even that you know that's not widely known that you can have a ectopic in your cervix you know it's normally associated with fallopian tubes and you whip out a fallopian tube um, which you don't want to do either which you don't want to do either but it's, it's you know the association is there with your tubes rather than any other area down there so that was a weird one but we were at the point where i remember begging not to have surgery because i was terrified of a hysterectomy that's right. I was terrified. I, I remember pl- like crying and pleading with them that I, I'm not done yet. I want to have a baby, you know, mm-hmm. and we were on that journey. And, I, you know, I feel really close because we've got 10 fertilized eggs sat in an IVF clinic somewhere. I'm not done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, we were faced with, you know, the, the best route is going to be surgery. And that's where you stepped in and were like, you don't know her history. Um and I was also texting the consultant that had done previous surgeries on me who knew the complexities of my situation. And he further endorsed your point about, you know, this is not the person to, to just do a, yeah. you know, a quick surgery on because they're, they're never quick. I've, you know, the, the, yeah. the surgery where I had... 20 minutes is always turned into a couple of hours. Three hours, you. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, thank God you stepped in. He endorsed it. I think he then phoned the consultant that was, that was scrubbing up to like, to do a procedure on me. And then you found out that there was an alternative option, which was a chemotherapy injection in Mm. my bum, which hadn't really been discussed. It was like, no, we need to do surgery. And I was terrified that that would lead to a hysterectomy. Mm. Yeah. So it's been a journey. All right. Well, we probably need to pull it back round to endometriosis. Mm. And I think the point of that last story was just to blokes listen, Mm. educate yourself because these things lead on to other things. And if things aren't done correctly, then it has further implications and it just adds to stress. And when you're trying to have a baby, things are probably bad enough, especially if you're fighting father time. Um, So yeah, be aware, Uh, be aware of that and supportive endometriosis month awareness month um are there any celebrities that are particularly vocal about this that one should follow some organizations anything like that any particularly good resources yes tons i mean i would say instagram is such a good resource because people are sharing what endometriosis looks like that's good for a woman so so what she knows that she's not alone yeah okay i think there's a real network you've got you know you've got i understand that but with in all in all fairness i also think that you can get caught up in that mm-hmm. and sharing stories is great and, and i'm not saying that that you shouldn't belong to those communities but in getting the help mm-hmm. and the the right 
information so that you can make informed decisions where where would you point people i think you have to i think you have to go down the is there like a .org or someone yeah there's endometriosis i think oh god is it .co.uk .org oh i feel really bad now um we'll put it up in the show notes (laughs) on podcasts um yes there is endometriosis uk is is an amazing organization um and they send newsletters out they do fundraisers um and they're just fighting to get more funding Mm. into research into treatment any particular Um, doctor did you not was there not a male a male doctor professor that you came across yeah so at that talk last year um at uh, the Wellbeing of Women um, Institute, Dr. Andrew Horn, um, he was absolutely awesome. Uh, he spoke about all the new research studies that are ongoing at the moment. He was talking about um, there should in the in the in the future. I mean, God knows how long that you know how long mm. a piece of string, but there should be they're working on a blood test that should determine whether you've got endometriosis rather than having to have invasive surgery. Right. They're talking about the use of cannabis as an interesting. Um, treatment as well interesting coping mechanism you know coping option um and they're talking about cancer treatments because it does behave like a cancer no no, everyone would want to go down those kind of chemotherapy and radiotherapy yeah i think so i don't know um maybe even just i prefer the idea of the uh, cannabis if i'm honest yeah same um but they're you know and i think this is all funded by the well-being of women so i would go and follow them i'd go and sign up to their newsletters um, they are just phenomenal and they're just flying the flag for women's health. Okay. Um, but in terms of celebrities and stuff, you've obviously got Lena Dunham who has really, you know, so vocal about mm. her struggles. People like Whoopi Goldberg have endometriosis. She right. talks a lot about cannabis in relation okay. to that. Uh, just a, a caveat to that. I don't think cannabis is advised during pregnancy though. So no. again, just tying just it back to there are certain foodstuffs and herbs etc that mm. you shouldn't perhaps take when you're pregnant so yeah. just what yeah. but again do your own research yeah and then in the uk you've got people like emma bunton that have endo oh right got what kids. spice girls spice girls yeah emma bunton baby spice baby spice <laughs> um <laughs> and uh anna Friel as well so there are tons and there are you know some talk about it more than others um but uh yeah it's of course it affects celebrities why are we like ooh, celebrities yeah. about it but if they're being vocal and they're doing something positive this is it as a result of having it and using their voice to spread the message then you know that's great but i would just want to see more men talk about it you know i you know this one in ten down the campaign. boozer <laughs> talking about our wives with endometriosis this one in ten campaign that's doing the rounds on instagram at the moment where people are holding sort of white boards with i am the one in ten so i would be holding that on up because i have it you would be holding one up saying my wife is the one in 10 that those kind of little movements yeah i think are really important because and and to be fronted by men as well because it affects them you know if your other half daughter whatever is suffering so bad it affects you too and you should be really clued up on it yeah i agree anything else that we've missed that you think needs oh (laughs) um just about when I was sort of looking at the diet side of things, we also overhauled all of our sort of products that we put on our body. Yes, we did. So I wrote a blog about this as well on vickygooden.com. Um, and it's been one of my most popular posts. So it's about reducing the toxic load of your, on your body. And I think women are, well, maybe not. <laughs> I've seen your uh, cosmetic cupboard. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, 
But uh, that's getting edited out. <laughs> but women, you know, Christ, you know, we wake up, we shower. What we're we using to wash our bodies with, what we're we washing our hair with. We're then coming out and moisturising. What does that have in it? We're then putting makeup on. We're putting aerosol, whatever, aluminium, bloody Based, deodorant yeah. underneath our arms, right near... SLS, SLES, parabens. And, you know, we're overloading our bodies before we've left the house, particularly women, um, in, in an attempt to look good, smell good, be fit, be, you know, get compliments. You know, it's all a vanity piece and I'm guilty of that too. But there are um, there are alternatives Toxic out there. Toxic-free alternatives. There really are. And chemical-free. And chemical-free and cruelty-free, which suit you as well. Yep. So I did a... For my eyeliner. I did, exactly. For your, yeah, your lovely complexion. Um, but I did tons of research and, you know, it's very easy to go, I want to be paraben-free, but an understanding of what that all means is, yeah. is really key. It's all about the preservatives that big cosmetic pharmaceutical companies bung into this products to give them longevity etc and they're just full of crap yeah full of crap and they can mess with your is it endocrine endocrine system yeah um and can throw your hormones completely out of whack and i think if we're talking about a condition a disease that thrives off of hormones um then why not talk about that as well but yeah so we overhauled our our beauty and cosmetic products and our cleaning products for our home um because everything immediately just felt like a threat to me Mm. so everything I was putting on my skin I was like you know the biggest organ of our body I'm absorbing that directly into my you know into my body where what's that doing why you know why do I need a really nice I don't know oh god I can't think of anything but like a really nice Laura Mercier um yeah sure um she might be all right actually I don't know but um why Uh am I using a particular brand over a lesser known one that I can get in a health food shop. So I then started investing in, investing in, and it can come at a price, but investing in different alternatives. So I use a totally different makeup now. So my, my foundation is from, by an Australian brand called Inica. Um, I don't think I look like a monster in comparison to what you look like lovely. before. And I really like how it goes on and it's, you know, got no crap in it. There's a big um, movement in the cruelty-free space and the chemical-free. What is it? The seven S's, the five S's. No, this is re- in relation to nail products, and this is what I feel very strongly about as well. So you've got girls all over gelling their nails, um, getting their nails gelled in those, you know, little spas where you know people are wearing masks because that's it's so all. What, for me, that's <laughs> all. Why would you? Yeah, I, I wouldn't go anywhere where have something put on my body if I needed to wear protective yeah, stuff. Yeah um so that's not good but you know people are just doing this because they want to look good and i totally totally get it and i've got but gel in my nails now but these gels are i do them myself so i'm not in an environment where i'm surrounded by loads toxic. of other people getting theirs done so the, the toxic load is huge i'm doing them myself i'm doing them with a, an led light rather than a uv light um and i uh, and they're five free which means five of the big nasties that are in typical gels or nail polishes aren't in these. So that includes formaldehyde, for goodness sake. Um, so so it's just informing yourself and not conforming to having the prettiest makeup bag. You know, I've got the latest MAC lipstick. I've got the latest Kardashian lip gloss. I mean, come on. Whatever it is. You know, okay. whatever it is, you know. So inform yourself because... These things you're putting on your body, let alone what we're putting in our bodies, yeah, 
Even clothes. Even clothes, yeah. Clothes, uh, animal skins, leathers, things like that. They are doused in toxic stuff to try and, you know, treat it and what have you. And we we put things on our body, you know, straight away, just fully, like, resting on our biggest organ. Yeah. Um, I actually did a video as well uh, for the goozers. Not that we suffer endometriosis, but just um, there are links between uh, cancer and some other things as well. Anyway, but yeah, on my uh, Bloody Vegan blog, I did a little video talking about what I use. Um, But we can find out more from the female perspective on your website. And I will include that in the notes below. Anything else? <laughs> I think we've I think we've covered nearly everything yeah. about our, you know, struggles and personal life, but yours specifically, and uh, endometriosis awareness month. We've covered another very important topic. Thank you for opening up and being so honest. And um, yeah, let's all learn about it. And hopefully that awareness will lead to greater research, which will lead to a cure for the many suffering, millions of suffering women around the globe. Cool. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're only <laughs> coming down. Should we go and put the dinner on? What should we have? I don't know. Hmm. Um, Take away? No. <laughs> it goes against the dietary yes, recommendations. That's inflammatory. We're going to have some green leafy vegetables. Might, might do. We might do. <laughs> I do have some Brussels sprouts. Anyway, we'll crack on with that. You guys, uh, thanks for watching. Subscribe. The journey of discovery is done for another episode. Uh, Episode. Episode. Ciao. (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.